0: Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Jussi. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud.
1: Hello and welcome again to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. Uh, today, I'm here again with UC Ruine. What's
0: up? Uh, everything is good mostly. So, Helsinki got a bit of, uh, I'd say, winterish weather for the past couple of days. But now that the forecast is showing for the upcoming weekend that it, the sun will be shining, it will be warm. So, that's top of mind. But uh, besides this, uh, I've, I've had a lot of school work, and a lot of that work has been teamwork. So it's it's almost like in real life you assemble a team, perhaps two, three people, and then you are given a task, and the task depends. And for three, four months now, all the tasks tasks that we've been given, you, you get like one or two tasks a month. So about five of the previous tasks have been on finance and accounting, like analyze this and this company, make up your mind on this, and what do you think about that, and and go to the balance sheet and maybe. Uh, analyze some sort of uh, outcome if you were to do this business decision. So while it's super interesting, it's, it's, it's also slightly boring when you, when you spend three evenings in Excel. So the interesting bit here is that uh, with the team that I've been part of for now a couple of months, uh, we decided early on that let's use uh, OneDrive for Business for, for all of the documents that, that we are to produce. And then we chat over WhatsApp. And, and one of the reasons for this is that WhatsApp is always available for you. But the real reason is that oftentimes you have people using corporate laptops that that mm-hmm. deny you to install a Teams client or or, or a Zoom client or what have you. Right. And WhatsApp on the other hand, it just works in that sense. So, mm-hmm. so we chat over WhatsApp and then we also have conference calls using WhatsApp within the team. Uh, the real downside is that we cannot share the document while we're in a call to say, okay, so I'm editing this. What do you guys think about this? But other than that, it, the, the setup has been quite nice and we've always beat the deadline. So if, if you don't meet the deadline, you typically start incurring minus points and nobody wants that. All
1: right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds cool. So OneDrive is helping you stay productive with your teamwork. In school.
0: Yes, and, and I used to use Dropbox for like eight years. I, I left Dropbox in 2019, started using OneDrive for business, but now I feel I'm really using it because it's not just cloud storage for myself. I'm actually using it with a team. So mm-hmm. that's been fun. So how about for you?
1: So for me, the, I guess the, the latest thing that... You know i'm realizing is we in my house which it, which means my family and i we are moving over to microsoft to do so we have grocery lists in sync and we have we're using microsoft to do to pretty much control everything in our lives we use outlook for like the plans and then we use microsoft to do for deadlines and to do's like when me and helena goes to shop And go for grocery shopping we both have our phones and we have the same to-do list and I go pick up maybe bananas and I tick the box and it disappears from her phone and so this increases productivity and lessens the time we have to spend in the shop while it's actually pretty fun to collaborate in real time when we're in the same store the reason for this is some of the stores we go to are really crowded like there is a lot of people and for us to walk together through the entire store doing our you know relaxed type of shopping, does not work when there's 200 people fetching their kid from kindergarten going into the same store at the same time. You just got to go in and be productive. So of to do helps us do that. That's pretty slick, actually. I'm very happy with how this is helping us on a on a daily basis.
0: So so one one pinpointing question on that: Are you using it? Um, in tandem with Outlook so that you would have something in Outlook like like um, on a Saturday, let's let's go um, to the movies. And then you would have a task in To-Do that's connected with that Outlook item or are you using them separately?
1: No, we use them separately because I use Outlook in Office 365 and Helen uses Gmail and we don't have them connected like that. So we just have a kind of a shared calendar in... in in the mail that we use for anything that is decided upon. And Microsoft To-Do is just loose tasks with deadlines. So yeah, pretty loosely connected, um, but I mean, it's it's everyday life. So yeah, we make it work and it works really well. All
0: righty, I've, I've been using To-Do for quite some time because I started using uh, Wunderlist or Wunderlist mm. back in the day and I migrated to To-Do and I have my own things there, but I'm not sharing those Family, so I'll probably take a note here and, and start doing this myself as well.
1: Yeah, and that's how we started. Also, from Wunderlist, we moved to Microsoft To Do, and if yeah, the thing just works, it's pretty. We're we're very happy with the setup.
0: I'm happy to hear this. Okay, so for today's episode, we are talking about planning and designing perimeter security, and and obviously around Azure. <clears throat> and let's let's start with the essential things first. Because, again, back in the day when when Azure was not 10 years old like it is today, uh, you would need to secure something. You would perhaps have a virtual machine, and that sits in a virtual network, a VNet. And then if you need to secure access and and to, to prove to your auditor that, okay, we are secure enough, you would use network security groups, NSGs, which are, which are basically ACLs, access control list items, you can allow or deny based on protocol, source IP, destination IP, and so forth. Are you using NSGs? Because that's that's kind of the, the smallest pebble that you can use to create security.
1: Yeah, um, I use them a lot. And I use them for things like Azure Functions and uh, my web apps and storage accounts and all kinds of things that, that I put into the cloud these days where... I want to enforce through the NSG connected to my VNet that I only allow HTTPS or whatever it is. So I can disable certain protocols and certain endpoints and IP routes or ranges, whatever it is, or enable the ones I, I need. And I think this works pretty well because if, if you at some point forget to turn on HTTPS enforce on your web app, the NSG can still disallow anything that is not running over SSL. So this is definitely something that I do, and I connect it to my VNet, and then I have this granular control of exactly how I want the network traffic to to kind of flow in and out of my applications.
0: Okay, makes, makes perfect sense. Uh, one project I was working with in 2018, we had, uh, I think we only had three VNets, and a lot of traffic between those VNets, like one VNet would have an API, another one would have a web app, and a third one would have a, have a SQL database. And we needed to secure that. And this was before we had ASG, the application security groups. And it was super painful to first get the source IP of your web app and/or or the outbound IP, let's call it that. And then figure out: okay, from this IP and traveling to the API, the API is possibly coming back or it's going to the database first and we would end up with a list of, of maybe 20 rules in the NSG and then if somebody made the, made the mistake of, of changing an IP here or there you would have to go through all of those rules and that brought me back to 1997 when you would have a <laughs> traditional like a packet filter with a bunch of text files with the rules. Yeah,
1: um, yeah that so- sounds like a, a lot of things to manage and And that also makes me recall one thing with, I believe it's network security groups and allowed rules that you can have a count of, is it 10,000 or 20,000 or yeah, whatever it is. There's a limit. I don't know it by, by heart, but I saw someone online in a forum not too long ago where they explicitly put every single IP address that they thought any of their employees might use into that list. And they hit the limit, which is like 10,000 or 50,000 or whatever it is. It's, a ridiculous limit as such when you could could use a cidr pattern and say this range is allowed but instead they use singular ip addresses for, yep. for all that so yeah it you know 1997 2020 there are similarities to how people do certain
0: things <laughs> yeah yeah um, so so moving on from nsgs then we got network virtual appliances nvas and and i love it. there's always an acronym that that you could use with these services so NVAs, in essence, how I see them, are Azure Marketplace items that you can can deploy, and oftentimes there's a license that you need to purchase or rent. So you could get an NVA uh, from Checkpoint, Cisco, F5, Kemp, and and others that I fail to recall now. And, And that essentially means that instead of setting up your own virtual machine, acquiring the license doing the whole setup and perhaps having multiple nodes doing clustering or load balancing the nva is a predefined arm template that creates whatever is needed in the vm and keeps it ticking up and running and you pay for for the compute as you would regularly pay but then oftentimes you pay for a license which might be per minute or per month or or then you bring your own license have you Use the NVAs? Are they too enterprise or too enterprisy?
1: They are not a fit for what I have been doing up to this point. So I I don't have any experience with it. I have seen it. I've seen I've seen it in use. Um I've had access to some of the checkpoint, like you mentioned, checkpoint. I've I've seen this in, in the works. But uh yeah, this this is not something that I regularly spin up. So no, this is new stuff, new areas
0: for me. So, so, Microsoft has a team called Azure Cat Team, and I failed to recall what it stands for: Customer Advocacy Team, something. Uh, perhaps somebody from the team will reach out to me internally and say, "You, so you <laughs> need to memorize our team name."
1: You need to know all the acronyms.
0: Yes, apologies <laughs> for this. Uh, and and that team uh, created a bunch of architectures, especially when you have perhaps Express Route. Uh, for connecting your, your on-premises or branch offices to Azure? And then how would you apply NVAs, uh, either for inbound, outbound, or ingress and egress traffic? And, and when, I, when I looked at those, this was perhaps a year ago, for a fairly large project with multiple subscriptions, multiple sites, and, and thousands of users eventually, then NVAs made perfect sense. Yes, I want to have checkpoint because I can do this, this, and this, and I can have this sort of exception in here as well. But anything smaller, meaning, yeah, I have two web apps and two databases and, and five APIs, NSGs typically, I feel, are a really good starting point. And, and you can also secure
1: those assets with additional firewall options. So it's not just NSG and VNet you can put on top of it and then restrict some access, you can actually also use the, the different firewall options that I guess we'll touch on uh, on now in, in the show as well, because this also ties into all the perimeter security stuff.
0: Exactly, and and there's uh, plenty to choose from. Previously, we did the uh, migrating databases to Azure SQL from on-prem SQL server. We had a lot of tiers, a lot of pricing options, a lot of choices and opportunities. And and it's a bit the same here, but. It's slightly more simplified, if you will. So, so let's start with um, Azure Firewall. And I've used this a couple of times, but not too often though. So, so this is the sort of real firewall and it's akin to an NVA, but this is something that Microsoft produces and, and it gives you as, as a sort of cloud native version. Yeah, you can and pretty much
1: tick the box and say, deploy the Azure Firewall, here's how yeah. I want it and need it, and that's it.
0: Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. So in that sense, it's a bit boring, uh, but, but it works. So, so that's probably the, the good choice if you're not sure. But then oftentimes when you work with web technologies, you want to publish uh, web apps, perhaps APIs or some sort of interfaces, uh, then you'd, you'd resort to using the web application firewall or WAF. And, and with web application firewall it, it does what the name tells you it's a firewall for your web applications and it does load balancing for you and it protects your web apps and and for this there's the uh, opportunity to use the OVASP rules I think it's the, it's the core set 3.1 is the it is the set of predefined rules that if VAF sees the sort of traffic that that, that looks a bit uh, suspect and, and, and it should perhaps be investigated further, when you enable these rules, you can then simply deny all that sort of traffic that shouldn't be hitting it.
1: Yeah, and what and, I really like about that with the OWASP integration, you also have these different t- type of rules that I've seen third parties are sharing online where you can actually take part of other enterprises, other businesses saying, we see a lot of these incoming requests which are malicious or suspicious and they should not be hitting our web apps at all. And they have shared like their uh, configurations that you can use with the WAF, uh, WAF as well. So the OWASP rules built in pretty cool. And I've also seen that there is a, an OWASP uh, update for APIs. So there's the OWASP top 10 threats for webs, but then there's also one specifically for API and API design. Which is pretty slick. So you can actually take that and build rules into the the WAF or the web application firewall as well, which is also really cool because it's very extendable to fit exactly your needs. So I I also really like that.
0: Okay, that sounds really cool. I I haven't seen the APIs that I need to look into that. Uh, for for WAF itself, uh, what I failed to to uh, provision for myself. Uh, often when I use VAF, I use a script to provision the actual assets. But, but when you're provisioning a new VAF, you can define in the script that I want this and this port to be open, and, and any traffic coming to port 80 should go to this node that I have in one of my VNets. So that's easy to do. But I couldn't find a PowerShell commandlet to connect with an existing instance of VAF and say hold on, I need to add five more rules. Mm-hmm. I can do that graphically through the portal, and that's what I do now. And, and when I was struggling with this issue maybe two months ago, I went to docsmicrosoft.com, uh, checked out VAF, and, and went to the provisioning and, and the support thing. And somebody else had, a, had the exact same comment in there, and that was maybe two weeks old and no answer. So I figured, okay, this is not my fight. I will not die on this hill. <laughs> I'll come back to this in the summer when I have more time, and then I'll figure how it should be done. But that's definitely one thing that I've, I've felt a slight challenge in, in, in managing WAF later on.
1: I, have, I haven't done a lot of changes to, to the webs we've set up because the way we, we do things is we provision environments that are like per definition, how we exactly how we want them. And that's tested. This is exactly how I want the network traffic. This is, this is how I want it. And then we pretty much don't change it. And if we do change it, I go into the portal because it's, it's at that scale where I can actually do that for, for the things we use it. Uh, But of course, like everything, if you can do it with a script or the CLI, this helps a lot because you can manage things at scale a lot easier as well.
0: Exactly. Um, there's um, a super interesting enterprise design on docs.microsoft.com called the reference enterprise design for Azure network security. I'll add the link in show notes. And, and in there, um, there's this, this diagram on how you should build your, your network security, especially uh, in relation to these different firewall options. And and one thing that caught my eye was um, something that Microsoft calls Cloud Service Provider Native Controls. And this is Azure Firewall together with WAF. So you would have Azure Firewall first, and then you would have WAF just for publishing those web applications and APIs that you have. Uh, Moving on. So we covered so far NSGs, Network Security Groups, NVAs, Network Virtual Appliances, uh, Azure firewall and WAF, web application firewall, so that's that's four different options. The fifth one would be application gateway and and I my understanding is that uh, web application firewall is a subset of application gateway. So application gateway gives you the uh, the SSL termination so you can offload SSL from your web apps if you want. Mm. So whatever traffic is coming, to your application gateway, you can stop the traffic and, and sort of bridge and, and do like a reverse proxy call to, to your web app or APIs. Then come back, apply the SSL back and say, here's whatever I got for you. And for the client, it looks as if the client is talking directly with, with, with your web app.
1: Yeah. And I, I think they call it an ADC or application delivery controller, which is as a service. So it's like an ADC as a service. And, and it also offers like a layer seven load balancing capability. And I think this is also one of the interesting things. It's, you know, routing traffic is one thing, but then the, the built-in load balancing capabilities can help you when you have spikes in traffic and you have a, a huge workload, which also of course ties into this when you have CPU intensive SSL terminations, all this stuff, It can handle that. So again, yeah. it comes down to what is your use case? Do you need to use this? Do you need to use something else? And there's actually a pretty interesting flowchart from from Microsoft that I've used in the past that starts, like the starting point is, is it a web application? Because if not, then you have specific options like Azure Load Balancer or Traffic Manager plus a load balancer. But if it is a web application, you'll get a bunch of questions. Like, is it internet-facing? No. Okay, then you can use Application Gateway. Is it internet-facing? Yes. And is it deployed globally? And do you require SSL offloading? Yes. Then it's Azure Front Door plus Application Gateway. So it's a a pretty nice flowchart because at some point if you're tuning into this or if you're planning to do your network perimeter, setting something up or you already have something and you need to understand am I doing this the right way? I will put the link to this flowchart also in the show notes because I find it extremely powerful that it's actually visualized in a flowchart diagram. So I can always just ask these questions to myself how does my traffic look like how does my application look like and then it's going to say you should use front door you should use application gateway or you should use front door and application gateway or if you're on AKS it's going to be front door and application gateway with the ingress controller and you know all these things that you otherwise would have to memorize and understand by heart now has a, a visual diagram, which is also by the application architecture team at Microsoft. So that's something I highly recommend to take a look at. Uh, so I'll put that in the show notes also. Um,
0: yeah, I, I, I need to have a look at that too, because for me, visualizing the options makes it easier to, to digest all the information and, and, and create knowledge in my head in when I'm having a discussion with a customer and they're thinking, yeah, should we do this or this? Then I can go back in, in my memory and feel, okay, I, I saw this diagram and it roughly said this. And then I can dig the diagram as well and, and come up with some educated guesses on how things should be built. Um, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned Azure Front Door and that's relatively new. I haven't used that in production yet. I did witness somebody using it so i was sitting in the same room when somebody was deploying this to a production environment so that makes me partially an expert as well because <laughs> I, I i didn't really have any skin in the game but i was watching somebody else who had yeah but but my understanding with azure front door is that it's it's a global https load balancer that you can bolt in front of WAF or something else
1: yeah and it's pretty, it goes also in, in combination with application gateway very well. Um, so like the, the brief of my takeaway of the front door is it's like an application delivery network. So if the application gateway is the application delivery controller, then the front door is the application delivery network part. And that provides kind of this global load balancing and site acceleration stuff um, also the layer seven capabilities like ssl offload it also has this and like routing path based routing so if the route is slash whatever slash something for your application it should go over here to this web app or to this api or whatever it is that you have uh, you have the fast failover option so if if an endpoint fails and you have a redundancy it will quickly fail over to the next one uh, so you actually have it working and there's built-in caching and like performance improvements and yeah, it can handle pretty high scale. Um, and Front Door uh, is usually uh, used with web-based workloads. So if, you, if you're using a hosted option, for example, PaaS, IaaS, or um, something like this. So PaaS, in this case, being platform as a service, like the app service or functions or whatever it is, uh, then you can use the Azure Front Door. It's, it has like cloud-native integration, pretty much click the button and you get all these capabilities. If you use AKS, um, then you can also get Azure Front Door and the Application Gateway Ingress Controller that can control load balancing and things like that for you inside of the Azure Kubernetes cluster. And for IaaS, which is the Infrastructure as a Service, if you use VMs, then you can use Azure Front Door and the Azure Load Balancer for that. So that's not the Application Gateway, that's the Azure load balancer instead, but still with the Azure front door. So it plays very well with the different services that you have. So you can you can kind of puzzle these things together depending on what scenario you have. So if you're running a web app in the cloud with the pass offering that Microsoft have, well, then it's the front door. If you use AKS or something else, then maybe it's the application gateway or it's the Azure load balancer. But again, this comes back to this visual diagram I talked about. This is also in there. So I'm going to put this again in the show notes. And this will help you kind of understand that this is how I need it. It needs to be globally deployed in multiple regions. And I need to have SSL offloading. Okay, well, then it is Azure Front Door and the application gateway that you might want to start a look at. So it's not a definite guide to this is how you need to do it. But this is a like a recommenda- recommended practice for how you can do it. And looking at this will give you the ideas of what resources you need, what the pricing is going to be, because that's obviously important. Um, and, you know, what scalability do you need in, in the type of service you're building? So, yeah, that's pretty slick.
0: Sounds like this. So so my plan for, for the upcoming weekend is that when I put the kids to bed, uh, I will open Netflix, press play on something and not really pay attention to it anymore. But since I'm paying for Netflix, I need to play it. Uh, and then I'll open my laptop. I will quickly create a custom API that says hello world, uh, perhaps in .NET Core. I will deploy that first and I'll create a web app. And then I'll go through this diagram and figure out if I need Azure Front Door and or web application firewall, perhaps Azure Firewall instead or application gateway. And then I'll fiddle with the NSGs quite a bit. And that probably gives me a fairly decent understanding on how do these different components work together and when to use what?
1: Yeah, sounds like fun.
0: Yes, yes, that's, that's my, my definition of having a fun Saturday evening.
1: And speaking of Netflix, just I'm going to just pin this in there. There's a new show called Ragnarök, which is about Nordic mythology, uh, and it's Norwegian, so they, they actually speak Norwegian. It's, this is a good tip if, if you need something new to watch.
0: And if if I try to recall, they they still have like two dialects of of Norwegian in Norway, like like Nynorsk and Bokmål.
1: I have no idea. That, I, they just sound so happy every time they talk. It's it's you get so happy when they talk. It's it's awesome.
0: We we might need to reach out to some of our Norwegian friends and have them as guests so that that we can actually learn real Norwegian next time. Sounds like a plan. Yes, uh, and to, to kind of close up the different options, we still have one more. So that's Azure uh, Distributed Denial of Service Protection, Azure DDoS. And, and this, this is a service you can then add together with all of these that we had, or or just in front perhaps web application firewall. And, and if, if, if you suspect somebody's really trying to kill your service with, with some sort of denial of service and distributed in this case, then Azure DDoS will give you the protection in front of all this so that you're not saturating your uh, security services with something that's hard to detect and hard to, hard to block unless you have some sort of a deeper understanding on how the traffic is constructed. Have have you needed to use Azure DDoS?
1: I haven't needed to use it because we've been under attack or anything like this, but uh, I have used it in the past. I don't have it deployed at the moment because I have other measures in place. But what I really like about it when I did use it is you have like the DDoS protection basic and then the DDoS protection standard where uh, the basic one is is pretty much free, uh, but it's of course a bit more limited. And the, the standard one has a usage based and monthly based um, fee or pricing. But one thing you need to take into consideration when you think about, like, I, I need the standard features because yeah, we we're under attack or we might be under attack and this is a critical system. Sure that this comes at, at a price. I don't remember the price by, by heart, but it, it comes at a price. But it can be more expensive if your web apps and whatever compute-based workloads you have or whatever like open endpoints you have that, that can be exploited by a DDoS attack get hit and you're on that consumption plan because then you, you get billed by execution or billed by the minute that it, it runs something. And if you're under DDoS and the system doesn't shut that down, it's going to be a denial of, denial of wallet. So the, <laughs> the credits in your wallet will also run out because if you don't have anything to to put a stop or to put an end to that, and you don't realize that in time, you know, credits can just run out um, or your credit card might be hit. So this is also something to always take into consideration. It's not just about the pricing of implementing the service, but what will the cost be if I don't end this happens? So if you're an enterprise and you have huge uh, global systems that are getting hit millions of times per day, maybe it makes sense to actually have this in front to protect yourself from these exploits. Um, because it, I mean, there's a, a lot of good stuff like volumetric attacks and protocol attacks um, and also like resource layer attacks on the application level. So it, it has a, a, a lot of good integration points that you don't have to you know, take care of yourself. You just say, I wanna deploy this thing Here's how I want it to run, and these are the rules I want to apply, and, and this is my configuration. And then you let that handle the, the attack. So when you get the the spikes or the overload in in a DDoS attack, you know, the, the DDoS protection will protect your services on the on the back end for that.
0: righty, So the the only thing we have left really is is what if you just have virtual machines? If you don't have anything cloud native, nothing in platform as a service, no web apps, no APIs, no, no data stores. You have a bunch of VMs uh, sitting in one or two VNets. You have NSGs in there. Do you still need, on Windows, do you still need Windows Defender Firewall or should you just disable it?
1: You should always have uh, Defender enabled or something else that have the same capabilities. Um, But even if if you use um, Infrastructure as a Service or VMs in Azure, you should use Azure Front Door and the Azure Load Balancer. If, of course, it's that important to you to to take care of the the security. You also have the integration with Security Center for a VM, so you can install the agents for monitoring. So you, you can also get a, a secondary monitoring agent installed in the VM that keeps track of it. So you can actually see these things then later in the Security Center. But as as far as protection or perimeter networking goes, Azure Front Door and the Azure Load Balancer actually can serve you pretty well here. We can set this up for your VM.
0: Sounds good. Uh, For the VMs, then, one option if you really need remote desktop or SSH access is to use Azure Bastion Host. So, with Bastion Host, you have a secure uh, managed jump server. And and through that, you get access to your VMs, even if you have Windows Defender Firewall on. And as you mentioned with Azure Security Center, you can also use uh, the just-in-time access. Uh, And and I'm I'm getting these flashbacks from about 10 episodes ago. We had Tiago Costa as a guest, and we talked uh, quite a bit on, on remote access options for VMs. And that was episode nine. And that was in November, I think, last year. So if you're interested in, in more talk on Bastion Host and, and these different options for VMs, check out episode nine.
1: All right. So I think from, from my point of view, this kind of summarizes what we talked about, summarizes well the, the different options for getting started with or replanning or re architecting or designing your perimeter security. Uh, is there anything we forgot on this topic?
0: I'm, I'm quite sure there's plenty more to, to dissect here. Uh, in essence, start small. Start with NSGs and then figure out where to go from there. Oftentimes, I end up with NSGs and WAF, and that's it. It doesn't have to be that much complex. But as you have plenty of op- options now, Azure Front Door, Application Gateway, Azure Firewall, it it, it makes sense. To, to design and think that what if I add this, what if I add that, and also plan for the future. So Microsoft Build is coming up later this year. They might announce something. I have no idea, but typically looking, looking at previous builds, something might be announced that we feel is useful uh, for our architectures. So it makes sense to plan for the future in the sense that, okay, I'll, I'll build it like this. But if something new arrives that's even better or suits my needs better, then I can get rid of this, this, and this, and perhaps I'll replace it with something else.
1: All right, yeah, that makes sense.
0: So the next thing, the Scandinavian words of the day. Yes, and, and as we all already admitted, we don't know any Norwegian because we are not really even sure about the dialect they use there. So let's stick with Swedish and Finnish. I can, I can start with Finnish because this, this is a bit, bit more complex than usual. And, and I really spent quite a bit of time coming up with this. So it's not my invention. This is an official word. But I, I feel that the perception I got when I read this as a native Finnish speaker, I was like, I have no idea what this means, but I kind of have. And then when I read the explanation, I was like, oh, I didn't really understand what it means. So so, let's start with, with the actual word first. So this is the Finnish word, and it is lonkaliukumaki. Wow! Yes,
1: Lonkaliukumaki.
0: Yes, and it, it's like three words together, and in English it means a heap slide. Mm-hmm. And initially, I thought that this would be like a, like a slide you have on a children's playground, but perhaps in a in a, in a pension house, and the elderly can go and, and go through the slide with their hip first or, or, or using their hips. <laughs> and, and later on, when I actually read what this means, so long maki a hip slide, it's, it's the practice of rehabilitating people to get up on their feet more quickly after a hip surgery. So, so it's, it's more like a practice on how do we get you back to your normal being after you have perhaps had an accident or we operated your hip as opposed to being something fun like, yeah, let's do the hip slide.
1: Lonkaliukumäki.
0: Yes, Lonkaliukumeki.
1: Lonka okay, um, fair enough. I will keep this in mind. If I ever have an accident, I will say, please quickly lonkaliukumäki me. Yes. I will get <laughs> <laughs> back up and running quickly.
0: Alrighty, so Swedish next.
1: So the Swedish word is a simple one Uh, because I was trying to figure out what is an interesting word and I just had my watch on my wrist and the sun popped out and when the sun hits your watch or some reflective surface it creates a reflection on the wall so if you move around the watch you see this small uh, light of uh, beam of light move around on the on the wall this in Swedish is called a which means a sun cat I don't know why don't ask me that It, it just is so whenever there's a reflection from your glasses or from a watch or something similar that creates a, a small round reflection or, or something on the wall, that's a sun cat or a sul cat. So um, if if you're in Sweden, you go to a coffee shop and someone walks by with a shiny watch and it kind of blings you in the eye, you can say, oh, no, I got a sul cut in my eye. So, so this also makes you survive as a hipster in downtown. So.
0: That's really good to know. So this this should be easy enough, a sul Yeah. Yep. Excellent, excellent. So, so we have a word for this in Finnish as well, and in English, it's it's a reflection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. All right. So, so that's all we had for now on on planning and designing perimeter security. I'm quite sure we'll we'll revisit this topic, especially for Azure Front Door. That's probably one, and and perhaps on 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 the on the DDoS protection options and and actually getting our hands dirty. Deploying those two services.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. All right, then thank you for today.
0: Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out
1: more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.